And there we are. Now we're live. Brian Carroll. This is uh, this is long overdue, my friend. Definitely a long overdue conversation, long overdue podcast. Welcome. I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me on. Uh, glad everything's going well. You opened a new gym. You've been busy. I've been busy with my uh, twins and uh, seeing clients and such online and in person. And, uh, you know, an interesting start today today start to today would be about how we met in buffalo new york yeah about four and a half years ago or so right was, yeah that's really been that long ago it was, that's it was february of, it was february of 19 yeah that's so that's, that's wild that's four man. and a half years ago almost exactly that's crazy yeah so that was i mean pre-covid that was the has has mcgill done a uh in person like that again since then just the one in a few months back uh, yeah. in Canada, but no. Yeah, so that was uh, where I got, uh, went through the, the McGill certification courses. And that was, and I still tell that story. Like that was one of the most intense weekends. That wasn't even a weekend. It was like four or five days. Like it was a intense, uh, you know, educational opportunity. And I knew I was in the right room because it was like me and like, doctors, PTs, Kairos, like, and it was just like me and another strength coach. And like, I, I knew I was in the right room. I knew I needed to be there because I was so wildly overwhelmed at the time. And, and it was, uh, it was an interesting situation because you ended up coming out to teach the, the, uh, the hands-on, like the practical side of things on the last day. And that was, and of course, like I had known who you were for years. Like that was one of the things that led me to kind of follow the, to get into the McGill practitioner side of things was just seeing your lifting, your story, how you overcame your injury. And you were able to really, you know, get back to the platform and do the amazing things that you did, but to be able to, and it was, I, we had no idea. Like we had, as the, the people going to that event, we had no idea that you were even going to be there and come to find out is like, you roll in on the last day when we're in this gym and it's like, I was just like dumbfounded. I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, this is like the coolest thing ever. Cause at the time, like I was, I, like I was doing strongman, but I was a huge fan of lead FTS. I was a huge fan of, of lifting in general. And, and just to be able to learn from you, it was just a really cool experience. And, and I was in that room and I knew that you like picked me out of the crowd. Cause I had my big elite FTS jacket on and you just like threw me to the wolves, man. You're like, all right, come on up here and teach this guy how to sumo deadlift. And I was like, all right, game on, here we go. <laughs> and you and you thrived. Yeah, it was cool. It was a really cool experience. Like it was it was just like like I'd said, thrown to the wolves. I had Dr. McGill looking like the Wizard of Oz on that giant screen. Yeah. And I had you there and it was like go. And I was like, "Okay. Sink or swim. Here we go." I was impressed by how you you just went to it, you know, you asked him or do you have any pain? Like, well, you know, what you did the, all the right things and yeah, you did great, man. And uh, that was impressive. And then, so after that weekend, we stayed in contact and you said, Hey man, like, what do you think about like me doing like this pathway with McGill provider? I'm like, dude, with what you know, and with your uh, knowledge base, we need more lifters too. Mm -hmm. And people with the lifting background and interest in lifting. So I was like, hell yes, do it. And, uh, I'm glad you did it, dude, because uh, I've never heard someone say, man, I really, you know, learning all that McGill stuff really 
was a waste of time. You know, I've never like heard that ever. Yeah. And, and it, one of the biggest parts of it was it allowed me to ask better questions and to be able to communicate with people better in that field. Like I, I've never been able to communicate better with PTs, with gyros, with whoever. And it's like they, it's like, it gives you that knowledge to, to better communicate, to ask better questions and to better help the people that come to you. Right. Because Dr. McGill and everything that he's, he's done for the, the industry for just lower back pain in general. And, and it is so amazing that, to be a part of that team, to be a part of that, you know, network is like, oh shit. Like this is, this isn't something that you see all the time, right? This isn't something that like any can do because even the process of becoming a practitioner, man, like that was, that was brutal. That was hard. Like it, having to be the, the amount of information that we have to learn is so in depth and the details matter so much. I, I, I sweat more about that than getting my damn master's degree. Right. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was yeah. more, I was more locked into studying for that than anything else I've ever studied for, because I knew at the end of the day, like we were really helping people change their lives. Yep. You nailed it. And uh, you know, one interesting thing about that whole aspect is um, you know, it's not just another certification. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to pick on any certifications out there at all because I really don't know too many of them. But there's some certifications you do, like a simple weekend course. Uh, you, you take a BS written test, and then you're like, uh, you know, MSCSDF certified. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? It looks good on a resume. But there's potential that, depending on who you have testing you for the test, that you might know most mechanisms well but they might happen to ask you about someone with a facet joint and then you might struggle with that one particular issue and you could flunk the test it could throw you mm -hmm. off and you could be going down the wrong path um so there's a lot to know there's a lot of variables with it and they make sure that you're going to represent them well but there's a lot to learn man i still like mess things up or like get wrong uh conclusions at first you know or mm -hmm. like fall for tricks that i shouldn't um but i'm still trying to get better at just being able to understand the mechanism of pain and how to reduce it. And one of the big things I have to learn too is like, I'm learning more and more like how to break bad news to people in, in a way that's not going to destroy them. But also you've probably heard Dr. McGill and myself talk about like Stu's word is basically my job is to tell them the truth, the truth of what I think, what I think they can do. They're paying me for my expertise, my, my, I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing an assessment and consultation with them. They're paying me for my expertise. And sometimes the truth is a little, it sucks. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You got to be honest with the client. You don't want to blow smoke up their butt. But at the same time, you want to do it with compassion and empathy. And I have empathy because I've been there. I understand how it messes with your head. But to be a well-rounded, certified practitioner is going to be a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. And, That's and what it's, I'm learning. Oh, for sure. And you're always coming face to face with situations that are new or certain aspects of somebody, you know, somebody's particular lifestyle or, or their history or, you know, it, I, I've one of the best parts of the process was realizing how important it is to sit down and really have a conversation and get into the nitty gritty detail of what their life is you know, the situations they find themselves in, the, the stress that's impacting their lives from different directions. And, and like, it's amazing the amount of 
depth that you have to go into talking to these people. And it's amazing that that is so rare in the medical field, right? Everything is like so quick. You hear about PT spending six minutes with a client and having to, you know, balance three or four other clients within the hour. And it's, and it's unfortunate because there hasn't been a client that I've worked with that hasn't been like, wow, how come nobody's ever talked to me like this before? Or, you know, brought this information up to me before, or even taught me hands-on how to do a particular move that we're working on, or, or just get a better understanding. And it's like, man, I can't tell you, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. You know, either they're there with the PT getting uh, passive therapy. Some uh, dry needling is really big right now. I don't know why it is, but it's like the people think it's a bee's knees. And I think it can definitely serve a purpose, but it's not going to cure someone's uh, disc pain. You know what I mean? It's not going to cure their injury. It might help with some symptoms every once in a while. It might also provoke them, depending. It might really light them up. I don't know. But um, they'll get passive treatment. Uh, they'll get a cookie-cutter program, and there will be no interview process. Where where are you? Where you been? Where you going? What have you tried and failed with? What are the demands of your job? Where do you live? Like, Do you have a place where you can walk every day? Stu's used this example a couple times. If someone lives in the hood and it's unsafe to walk outside, you can't expect the person to go out and walk three times a day. They're like, I can get one walk in and that's 8 a.m. You know, it's safe where I am. You know, everyone's gone. And then at night from 4 p.m. on, I can't go out and walk because it's not safe. They might live in Chicago or something. I don't know. But the point is you got to like understand where, where the person is, what they're willing to do within reason and then you got to negotiate and find a, I don't want to use the word compromise because that would mean we're compromising our integrity with the program and the truth, but find a meet in the middle where you can get them to buy into it. Cause some mm-hmm. people hate exercise. Like I deal with a lot of lay people that are like, Hey, I want to work with you because I know you're able to squat 1300 pounds after your serious back injury. My back is not nearly as bad as that quote unquote is what they say. Um, so if you can get back, I want your help to, to just be able to pick my kid up from the floor. And, uh, you know, so that's why people reach out to me and, um, you got to manage their expectations too. Like they'll, they'll want to, like, they'll read in the book and say, Oh, it looked like you were pain-free and lifting right away. I'm like, yeah, but we couldn't document every up and down that I had during this time. So that's why I have to manage expectations because, you know, some people you have might get one flare up and think it's the end of the world. Right. You know, and if, and if, and if you haven't spent enough time with them and you don't have an open door with them and they have a flare up, they might they just take themselves to the hospital and think they're, they're done for. So there's a lot that goes into spending time with the client, working with them, making sure they have an understanding of what you want them to do, uh, their prognosis. And then, um, sometimes, man, it's a matter of, of getting them to stop doing what they're doing on their own. Like they might be feeling for the pain all the time. Like, uh, yeah, it's still there or doing like Instagram, um, Instagram scrolling where they see the latest thing. They're like, okay, I'm going to stretch my hip flexors. Now I'm going to do uh, J curls. Now I'm going to do uh, side bends. And next thing you know, they, they don't know what the hell is hurting them. It's most likely all those things when they add them in, but it's, uh, it's a negotiation with the client. I don't want to say compromise. No, absolutely. And at the end of the day, we are, problem solvers because we are solving the problem of what is going on how have they been attacking the situation and like 
how we can get them to understand what's going on better. It's like we provide them with that reflective surface, say, hey, this is what's going on. This is the objective reality of your situation. And you can have all the emotions and the feelings and this and that about it. But like, this is what's going, like, this is the issue that we need to, to go over. This is what we need to fix. And people have a hard time with just saying it's going to take time to heal up. Like, how long, how long, Sam, how long, you know, mm. can't say, man, there's a lot of factors there. And these are my words, not the McGill method or speaking for McGill, but I look at it as, you know, program adherence genetics, luck, and what the end goal is. If someone's just trying to be able to walk pain-free, okay, you, you know, you're likely to be able to get back there, but, you know, squatting 800 pounds again, that's that's going to be a little more difficult. You got a lot more variables there. You're going to be able to bear a bunch of load more than the average person. Mm. So the road back is going to be, it's going to be longer to get yeah. back to that, that spot. Absolutely. And I, I actually, with just where I live and in, in the types of people that are in like the New England areas, like I'd work a lot with like blue collar workers. It's like le- electricians, plumbers, construction workers. And it's, it's amazing that, and I, and I, I always tell them, I give them credit. It's like, no one's really taught you how to brace. No one's taught you to get a better understanding of your body. It's like, they just use you as a tool. And then when you're broken, they just find another tool. Right. And that's just from that. And that's just from what I've seen quite a bit, because then you're dealing with people that are on like, you know, workers comp and this and that. And it's like this chaotic world that they're living in where they're uncertain, where they can't provide for their family in the way that they want to because their back hurts. And so they're in such a rush to get back. It's like I need to get back working again. Like that's my biggest goal is to be able to provide and like I've seen grown men from all walks of life in tears in my gym because yeah. they're like, listen, man, like I can't take a shit without my back lighting up. Like what is going to happen to me? Like I am the sole breadwinner for my family. I've got this little kid that like, and it, it gets you. And it's like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you get to where you need to be. But like, this is a process that needs to be taken seriously. And I think it's their first real wake up call because everybody's so used to just going to the doctor, getting a pill, getting a shot, getting a this, getting a that and thinking everything's fixed. And it's like, that's not how this process works. It's not. And, 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 and I, I get that like you do, man, about grown men that are just broken, they're bawling, they're crying and they're, they're sad, man, because they, they've been, you notice, it's so weird, man, when these guys go to the doctor before they see us, because we want them to do their due diligence, go to your general practitioner, get an MRI. That's what you have to, that's the process. Even though the, the, the general practitioner is not very likely to actually help you very much, uh, I wouldn't necessarily always take their advice, but I'm speaking in my experience, from my experience, but you got to start that process um, and, and, and go see the general practitioner. But man, the general practitioner escalates them they might see a surgeon too before you get to them and it's either like doom and gloom or your back's fine like I, I see disc bulges on mris all the time and the client will come here and they're like the doctor said you know i have a disc bulge but that's not my source of pain the disc bulge is too small and i'm like well what did he do to test you to say that the disc bulge is too small to be causing your pain oh he played with my knee a little bit and he had <laughs> me do this and that and I, how long did he spend with you you know, not very long, like five minutes. I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. bend forward. All right, play with your neck tension, extend your leg. Does that cause you pain? Oh yes, when I when I bend my neck backwards, it lights me up. 
Oh, it changes when you bring your neck down. Yes. You got a disc bulge, man. Like he, this it's right here on the MRI. It just doesn't look big because you were neutral, lying neutral supine in the MRI machine. And it's right here on this level. Let me push on L4, L5, prone shear. Oh, there it is right there. Stiffen up a little bit. Is that better? Yeah, it's a little bit better. We found the area right there. You know what I mean? Mm. But we yeah. got to spend time doing it. And they, they always say, you're either screwed or you're fine. And it's never something like, hey, you can get back from this. And, you know, or they say, go lift light. Well, what does light mean, Sam? You know, you're squatting right. 700 pounds. Go lift 350. You're going to be fine. Well, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or they say never lift again. Like, it's just like a bunch of bullshit is what yeah. it is. No, I agree. And, and it's and it, that always goes back to who you're dealing with, the person in front of you. It's like there isn't a, cook, a cookie cutter answer. And I don't know how many times, and I'm sure you've seen it quite a bit, is like they go to a PT and they get a printout. As soon as I see the printout, I'm like, okay, this this isn't good. Like Garbage. This isn't where it needs to be, right? Because you can compare printout for one person and another person, and it's the same thing. It's like this isn't a playbook. We can't we can't act like this is going to be the same for every single person. Can I be an elitist? Absolutely. And it's not even good shit. Mm. It's not even like rest your back, go for a walk, try a tummy lie, try some core stiffening exercises that are not a bunch of sheer and compressive force load and see how you feel. It's just like touch your toes, pull your knee to your chest, McKinsey press ups. Um a lot of time it's weird, like windshield wiper things, and it's just all random. And so what happens is the person gets the printout. The first things they, first three things they do, light them up and hurt. They're like, I'm not doing this. It hurts too bad. And then they fall through the cracks. I tried PT and didn't work. It hurt me worse. Mm-hmm. And, and this was a very uh, – one of the biggest like light bulb moments for me as a practitioner is when you came down to Elite and we did – just going over the big three in detail. And it was one of the most viewed videos on elites YouTube page. It's like hundreds of thousands of views. It's like almost to 300 now. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like we were doing it and like me and you is like, we've done this so many times, but like the details matter on every single position, every single posture, like the intention of the movement has to be where it needs to be. And for people to respond so like, oh shit, like I didn't know any of this. It was, I was just sitting there watching the views in the first couple of weeks and I was like, what the hell is going on? Like there's yeah. definitely a need for this information and there's a need for people to have a resource. And it's great that, cause I see you putting out videos all the time and I know how hard creating content is all the time. The, con- <laughs> the content game is a grind. Like it, it is. I it do has, have a question. Finish, yeah. but just remember, I have a question about content. But sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. It, so essentially, it's it, it's like when you're doing the video, you're thinking in your head, you're like, okay, like this is pretty straightforward. But I think for me personally, like as a practitioner, someone who lived and breathed that information for literally years to prep to to get where I was at. It's like you forget that this information is really, really good and really, really important for people to hear. I can't believe we don't get trolled more through that or like more more trolls don't come through because it's like 99% positive. You're, you're going to have 1%. Oh, please. Yeah. A lot of time you have 10%. They're just people who are just they're gamers. They're they're goofing around stoned in the middle of the night, just talking shit everywhere. Right. That's just part of YouTube uh, mm-hmm. culture. Right. It's always been that way. But then when someone 
when people really don't like something, they'll go after it hard, right? And uh, sometimes some of McGill's stuff is a target, but that video, man, it's uh, I was I'm I'm proud of it that we did. You know, it's cool that it's it's done so well, but it's the cool thing is how many people have commented and said how much it's helped them. Like you were saying, like. I didn't know that, you know, you push the earth away to get taller, you know, uh, that's yeah. the regression, you know, to the side plank, all that good stuff. Absolutely. And I've had uh, clients sent my way because of that video. They're like, oh, I saw you and Brian's video talking about this stuff and it, it changed how I was doing the big three. It's like you said, they'll buy the book, they'll start the process. But even when someone buys the book, reads it, digests it, like there is still so many levels that they're unaware of just because like you can't write a book with everything in it. Like it's just ha like, it's just the nature of the beast is it's so complicated. And certain people chapter four is really going to apply to or chapter six in back mechanic, the self-assessment, you know, they'll say, yeah, I read back mechanic, you know, I'm applying some of this stuff and I'm like, well, what are you applying? They'll be like, well, you know, I'm doing the big three and I'm like, Oh God, uh, here you know, we go. Have to talk. <laughs> Like, okay, great, but how are you doing the big three? And what about the chapter, whatever it is, uh, spine hygiene? Are you are you looking to that at all? Um, what is spine hygiene? Oh, God. I know. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, man, I got to spend some time with you. And I'm not talking about a client. I wouldn't be, like, complaining about a client. Right. Today, it's just someone that says, hey, you know, I'm like a friend. They'll be like, yeah, I got back mechanic. I've read it. And then you got to spend some time with them to get them to understand how important, depending on their mechanism of injury, the way they move, what they're doing, what their job is. Like some people have some really tough jobs, um, not that they're just physical, but some tough jobs where it's going to be hard to beat their back pain. A mm. cop, police officer is one of them. If they have a really bad disc or a facet joint, that one's hard to beat, man, if they're cranked up in a little tiny car and then they – go from zero to 100 to fighting with someone or running after someone or swimming and then mm -hmm. getting back in the car. It's just a recipe with the tool belt and the vest for a bad back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you're right about it. I've had a lot of people, even just people that went to my gym and, and go there, they're like, they're talking about, uh, you know, they're like, Oh, I, I came to the gym and, and it's, I've been doing the big three every day. And I'm like, when I, when I hear that they're doing the big three every day, that's usually a little bit of a red flag to me. I'm like, oh, cool. Like you must be like getting better. And they're like, oh no, I still, my back still hurts. I'm like, okay, well, we, there's something, there's something else afoot here that we need to figure out and that we need to go over because they, people think, and to this day, it drives me nuts that McGill is just like three exercises, right? Like he's the one that's like, oh, just do those and it'll fix everything. And, and it's like, that's that is not even re relatively close to the reality of the situation. No. And, and they say that, and they say, uh, McGill hates flexion. Uh, he hates anyone that bends their spine. I'm like, have you seen the gymnasts and dancers and ballerinas that he's worked with? Mm. No, he doesn't hate that. But for some people, that's their mechanism of pain. They need to change some of their training to be able to do that when they're fighting in the UFC octagon, when they're wrestling on the mat when they're dancing on the platform, whatever it may be, a lot of the time people just need to change their training. They can still yeah. go do the, do the twisties with the, hitting the golf ball. Great. But sometimes they got to stop that thing for a while, the golfing, the dancing, the squatting, the deadlifting, whatever it may be, and then slowly get back to doing it once they desensitize. Now, mm -hmm. a, a tiny little, I, I even hesitate to say this, but I'm talking tiny, minuscule percentage of people can somehow rehab their back 
and keep lifting. Some people can't. I've seen it. I've advised against it. But some people can play through their season and rehab their back and get better. I had a lacrosse kid that did it from Texas. That He was a goalie for the whole season, two disc bulges, and he got better all throughout the season while playing the whole season, while doing modified running and modified training. I, I advised against it, but I said, I'll help you the best I can if you want to go forward. But no, your likeliness to fail is heavy because you got this pain and, and what mm. you're going to have to do. He got better by the end of the season somehow. Uh Another situation was similar with uh, a bad flare-up where someone was on the ground for two weeks. They were stuck in bed. And after about a month of settling down, uh, they didn't have an inkling of back pain and still have it six months later. And so I say, if you want to pick up and start lifting, that's up to you. I advise against. I would have a couple months where you're rebuilding a foundation because something happened. But, man, they blew up. Their leg was on fire. Their back hurt. Two weeks afterward, you know, a month afterward, they're fine. They get back to lifting and then no problems. But mm. that's not most people. Yeah. And and it's funny to kind of circle back to the content thing is, is people are digesting this content in 10 second chunks. And they're like, oh, this one thing is going to help fix me. Or this one movement or this one, you know, idea that I heard. And the odds of that are so incredibly low that that one thing is going to be the secret sauce, but it, it kind of boils to back down to like the idea of, you know, we put information out there to help people, but to really guide them to the better information, the more in-depth process. And I think people forget that is like, they see people putting out these 15 second clips or these YouTube videos talking about a specific topic. It's like, if you wanted the real information, it's like that shit's going to take hours and hours and hours and hours of, of conversations and, and adjusting how you think about things and, and a lot of work, both physically and mentally, right? It's like I, the conversations that we have with clients it, on a daily basis, it's like you're, you're dealing with a human being. You're not dealing with a car, right? It's not like, oh, just change the tires and you'll be fine. But mm -hmm. no, like there's the emotional side of things. There's... You know, I was working with a golfer that when I say he was addicted to golf, like he, his life revolved around golf. He was a very wealthy guy, mm -hmm. a very successful businessman, but like he could not get away from the golf course. Everything he did in his free time was at a golf course. And like, it was one of the hardest people that I've been able to work with because he just was like, I'm going to go golfing. I'm like, Hey man, like, this you're going to aggravate saying it's you're going to it's going to hurt and you're going to be in pain he's like oh, i'm just going to keep doing it i'm just like okay this is this goes way deeper than just, than just an injury like this is now a psychosis that we need to get some work done on golfer psychosis i've had a couple golfers um some i give them enough uh enough room to kind of learn on their own. I'll say, look, man, here's my thoughts on the prognosis. If, if you decide to golf and you get flared up, you, you're going to, you're going to pay for it, you know? So you'll know, but I don't, I advise against it. And three weeks later, they'll golf and say, you know, I, I'm really wound up. It hurt. So, well, I mean, you know, my thoughts on, I don't think you should golf for the next six months or so. And then, you know, they might, and I said, well, how many balls did you hit? 200. Well, why didn't you just try to hit 20? Mm -hmm. Well, I used to hit 800. Well, so that's why you have annular tears all over the place. Yeah. 800 exactly. balls a day, 1,000 mm -hmm. balls a day. You're, you, 
you thought there's no price to that play. Mm-hmm. No consequence, right? Yeah. And it's like, Dave, it's like, oh, I've been golfing since I was three. Oh, how old are you exactly. now? 65. Exactly. <laughs> okay. You're, you're lucky your body is adapted as well as it has, mm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what was your content question there? How hard was it to come up with so much content like you did at Elite FTS, dude? Because after a while, I was thinking when I would watch the videos, I'd be like, oh, my God, I would be on methamphetamine by now. I would be mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. oxys. I would be like, <laughs> I would be I'd just be, I know how hard it is. Yeah, man, it was it got to the point where it was it was everything we were doing it every day like just every day it was just pumping things out and it we got more efficient with it the team that i was there with like it took about a year for us to really be on all you know all cylinders with a process that really worked for us and to really batch shoot things but still like you (laughs) it got to the point where i'd walk into the gym at elite and be like I don't know what else to like. We we've done squat videos, we've done deadlift videos, we've done bench like this, that, the other thing, and and it was even when guests came in, it was like it was one of those things where we had to change our perception of it because the internet's attention span is so short. You could do the same video a month apart, and it would be new to a, a million other people, yep. right? Like, but that was the, like, that's a more of a personal thing. Cause I was like, how many times do we have to talk about benching? How many times do we have Dip to in your board, pull your lats down? Yeah. And it, and it got to the point where when we had guests come in, it's like, all right, we have to come up with, I think the most we did in a day was 14 or 15 videos. And it that's was, f- we were fried. Like absolutely fried. And then it was time for the podcast. And then it was like, now we're sitting down. Like you can tell on some of the podcasts that I, like when we did a bunch of videos that Dave was fresh as a daisy and I'm sitting in the corner, man. I'm just, just, it was our podcast. The one that we did, because we got, we got a lot of videos done that day and uh, then we filmed the podcast and yeah, I was a little tired too. Um, But yeah, man, uh, I can imagine. Well, that was only one day for me though too. So can imagine, you know, you'd already been there for a couple months or so by that point. And yeah. So, yep. Yeah. So I figured it was really hard. And I don't know what, like, the right balance of entertainment and educational value. I'm not sure what what is the right, um, right way to lean. Because by entertaining them, you keep them on there and you can actually – like get them to listen to you. If it's not entertaining, it's boring. A lot of people are going to check out and you'll never be super popular. Yeah. But at the same time, are you trying to be a showman or a coach? So that's always a hard balance for me to, to kind of figure out because I want ultimately to lead people to want to work with me. That's why I do videos. I'm not trying to be a YouTube uh, guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be an Instagram guy. I'm just trying to like use free advertising and mm-hmm. I've got the means to be able to do it. And it gives me, it gives me a lot of business to, Get out there because it helps the Google rankings a lot to have YouTube uh, and, and good videos on there. So that's why I do it. Um, so I'm, uh, it's hard for me not to uh, like want to pull some tricks and clickbait and stuff because that's the game that we live in. You know, I just I can't compromise my integrity with that. 
No, a hundred percent. And I, and we experimented a lot too, is we would do more serious videos like whiteboard videos. We would try, you know, when the guests came in, we found a really good, uh, kind of balance of the two was me talking to a guest who is like an expert on a thing. Right. So I'm asking questions as if I was the audience. Like there were times okay. where I asked questions. I, I knew what the answer was going to be. But like I, I'm doing it for the audience that may not yeah. have the same sort of background. Yeah. And then we had someone that the guest was working with. Right. right. Like those that combination seemed to do very well because I could go off uh, like and say something stupid just to, you know, kind of keep the story going along or whatever. Like I, I put myself in situations. I was like, I want the expert to be the expert and them to feel comfortable because mm -hmm. the more comfortable the guest was, the more they could be themselves and get the information across in a way where they were comfortable. A lot of the times, if it was just like me and a camera, it had to be very quick because it's like, we, we just need to put out as much information as possible. Or if we had a guest, it's like, I wanted to showcase the guest. I was always the, the, the guy passing the rock. Like I was big on, like I was just like the assist guy, whatever could get them to be as comfortable as possible. I would do right? Because it, it, it helped with the video. It helped them get their information out there. And a lot of the times, especially with like our videos, it was, it was your videos that you did with me were probably some of my favorite because I got to be an active participant. Yeah. And then, we like, tag team that big three. Absolutely. And it was just a really cool process because that was the first time a guest came in. I was like, Oh shit. Like I could help add to this. Um, but the, in the terms of the content side, like right before I left, like the videos that we were doing with me and a guest or even just me, like they were starting to gain some traction because people started to become familiar, right? Like I was more accessible than like, you know, most of the, the lifters that came in, most of the coaches, they put all these people on this pedestal. And it's like, I'm just kind of like this, this schmuck in the middle asking questions and providing a little bit of like relief if, you know, the, the, the topic was pretty serious or in depth or asking questions or connecting or, or just trying to reel them in. And it's funny because I would always get questions. Oh, what it was like doing the podcast with Dave. It was always like, get them spinning up. You know, you've done countless podcasts with Dave. It's like, spin them up, set them off. And it's like, see where it's just kind of see where it goes. And that way, and I understood, like <laughs> yeah. I understood my role, like I understood yeah. my position and it was, it was beneficial because the, the, the downloads on the podcast went up tremendously like the YouTube went up tremendously. We got, I don't know, tens of thousands of subscribers the time that I was there and everything was moving in the right direction. And I'm, I'm proud to see where his podcast and YouTube is now because it's like I had a part in helping kind of bridge where they're at now. And the podcast mm -hmm. is doing amazing. They, they're is. doing so, so well. And, and the quality of guests is there. And he's got the process down. His interviewing has gone up tremendously. Like it, it, there were times and I love Dave to death, but I'm like, this dude is just not listening <laughs> to, what to what they're saying. So like, I, or like he would have a thought, have an idea, and then he would just kind of like stop. And I'm like, okay, let me keep this going in a direction to, you know, kind of just kind of direct it. But no, Dave's such a tremendous job, even on his own interviewing skills and bringing people in. It just, it's just night and day from where it was years ago. You know what? It's really hard to, to do, and I've noticed it watching all the podcasts, whether his interview school skills 
<clears throat> were as good as they are now, they're very good. I've always thought he was a pretty good interview, and he'd always be able to ask the tough questions. It's hard to get mad at Dave, uh, and I've never seen anyone um, upset with him or, like, snippy or bitchy about any questions he's ever asked on the podcast. Yes. You know how many times he's mentioned – so we've done four podcasts. Mm-hmm. I swear, Dave, every single time we have a podcast – he mentions the time where we didn't like each other or whatever. I'm like, Dave, yeah. let, let it go. Like, I get yeah. it. But I'm not mad at it. Like, I don't, like, literally, like, what is it about that where you just, it's, no matter what he asked me, I would never get offended just because we've been through some shit together. Uh, hmm. We've talked about stuff that we would never talk about publicly together. I know him well. You know, we can joke about stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, he just. He's just easy to talk to, I guess, is the way, way to put it. No, right? I agree. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, it's okay. – it's and he does a very good job regardless of what's going on in his life to kind of shut it down on the podcast. It's like he could be dealing with some shit on his end, and as soon as that yeah. camera goes on, it's like, okay. I mean, there were, there were podcasts that – like we would always record on a Wednesday, and it was – that was the first time I spoke to him that week. It's like we work <laughs> like our offices were like touching each other. And that was like yeah. the first conversation we had was live on a podcast. And I would always start with, hi, Dave, like <laughs> what's going on, man? Do you want me to uh, tell a story that I've never told before? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. All right. And if you just for some reason don't like it, you don't have to put it in. But I'm, oh, please. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not throwing anyone under the bus really or anything. All right. So. In 2014, I re, uh, 2013, I released, and the reason why I'm talking about this is I've dealt with another person recently that was a pathological liar and oh, um, a bit of a bit of a problem in, in my business. So this, like, this, I'm kind of thinking about this. Well, in 2013, I wrote 10 Life, knocked it out really quick. Right, we were going to mm-hmm. release it on Elite FTS and all this stuff. Well, the person that was helping me, um, he come to find out was a bit of a pathological liar. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it caused the problems that Dave and I had were caused because this person was not communicating and he was lying. I didn't know him to be a liar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something happens between all of us. I didn't do anything to Dave, but it was because of me, this guy helping market my book. Dave told me, Hey, I gotta let you go, you know, because of this, that what he did is he embarrassed Dave accidentally by releasing the book on my website before it was supposed to go live on lead FTS. And I begged this dude, I said, please communicate well with Dave. I respect my relationship. He didn't listen and he said he did whatever. The book came out. I had to go because this guy got let go. A month later, this guy dies, Mm -hmm. right? This guy dies. We go to his funeral. We start figuring things out. He's freaking Walter Mitty. Walter Mitty, you know what Walter Mitty is? Mm-hmm. The guy that had the fake life and had all these fantastical adventures. Yep. This was this guy. And then I and then it hit me all of a sudden, like, this is what happened with Dave. Like, mm. this guy was lying to me the whole time and deceiving me and maybe telling half truths. And that's what happened with Dave and I. So we just I kept doing my thing. Dave did his thing. We didn't talk uh for a couple of years, and then we slowly started talking again. And we never even really discussed uh really really even discussed it we discussed it a little bit but he knew that it, and we had talked a little bit after the guy passed away and we knew that basically 
he said it wasn't your fault and we all know this like kind of like thing but i was still yeah. like upset that i was like damn i still get wrapped up in this shit so it caused some tension but it was just me being 31 years old you know this is 2014 right. i'm 30, 31 years old you know but the good thing about Dave is, is, you know, I always respected him, even when we weren't talking. We started talking again about five and a half years ago. We met for lunch. We picked up, you know, where we were. And then two years later, I did the podcast, and I've done it three more times. And Dave has been one of the most instrumentally um, helpful people in my business, in my mm -hmm. strength training, in the way I approach situations. He's been there alongside me when I've had a lawsuit because I sued someone because they stole my my material that was going to be in a book initially mm -hmm. in 2013, uh, 2012, I'm sorry, so 2012. And Dave gave me a lot of free advice on how to approach it and such. So Dave's a great person. He's helped millions of people out there, and I'm, I'm grateful. And, and I don't really think he can do very much wrong in my eyes with as much as he's helped me, uh, regardless of uh, you're going to bump heads with people every once in a while. But this was definitely a very rare situation when you get involved with someone that does that, dies, leaves a mess everywhere, and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. Where do you even pick yeah. the pieces up at? Yeah, that's wild. I mean, it, it's and it, and it's kind of same not, – not the same situation, but me and Dave like, had times where we butt heads as well. Like, it, oh, you I mean, will? I, yeah. Oh, for sure. And it, it, I think at any point, like you're working close enough with somebody, you're going to disagree. Right. There's going to be situations that arise where, you know, you don't agree with things. You see something one way, they see something the other way, and it just doesn't work out. And I mean, I got to spend about a year and a couple months, like, really, like I threw myself into the elite FTS world. I, I was a fan for years. I got to work there. I got to meet some incredible people, make some amazing connections. Me and, me and Dave are still friends. Like yeah. that is in, in the, in this world, that is so rare for having somebody to like be your boss, have it not work out, and you still get to be, <laughs> you still get to go hang out at their house all the time, you know. And and it's it's one of those things where I hold no hard feelings towards anybody over there because again, it's just sometimes shit just doesn't line up, and it's okay. People have to move on to different things. I had different goal directions at the time. And, yeah. and it's like, like I said, like I, I'm probably, we probably have a better relationship now than I did when I worked there. Right. And it, and it's a really cool position to be in because I can shoot him a text. I can call him. I can, you know, I can come out and train. Like he still considers me a training partner to be able to come out on weekends and, you know, throw some weight around. It may be the fact that I threw myself up to my eyeballs and multiply powerlifting. And I'm sure I'm yeah, sure that yeah. helped the situation quite a bit, but yeah. it's it's one of those things where you're right. Like it, if if people are genuine, is like you can disagree, you can stomp your feet, you can be mad, yeah. you can be pissed, but at the end of the day, it's like you, you still circle back to you know someone's a good person, they're a good person, you know. And he's very. You mentioned coming to his house. He's. I'll tell you this. I wouldn't be as generous with my uh, house as he is with his house. No, especially being a gym owner now. I'm like, mm, mm, mm. nope. He's just, I don't know. He's very generous with that. And, you know, like it would piss me off even 10 years ago. We'd be there training and we'd have like, you've probably seen some of the videos where they're on a Saturday, you know, I'm squatting 1150 and there's yep. Jeremy Frey and Chuck Vogelpool and all of us are lifting in the thousand pounds. And it's just, it's just nothing like you that, you know, it's one of my favorite, most favorite times lifting ever. Right. Mm. But 
Then we'd leave, and there'd be 55 Gatorade bottles and candy wrappers. I'm just like, dude, like, what a slap in the face. Pick your shit up, please. You know, and so that's why I say, like, I wouldn't handle that. Like, I would pick up the best I could. You know, I'm not a slob. I keep my gym, like, immaculate. I, I just can't yeah. let it, like, get nasty. And plus, I want people to feel clean there when they come in. But with that said, I couldn't be as generous as Dave with, like, just, like, hey, man, what my, what's mine is yours. Just respect it remotely and, mm. you know, you can come in and train. And it and it is the, it is interesting, the, like, the powerlifting demographic is is uh it's wild man like you know like it's so many different personalities and for some reason we all just kind of make it work like and again i've heard (laughs) i've heard stories of people fighting people and this and that like it's just you get a bunch of meatheads in a room and again they're gonna disagree there's gonna be a situation where tempers flare people get pissed but like at the end of the day like a training partner is a training partner they're there to help you get better. You're there to help them get better. And it should be like a crew that, you know, is you're down for whatever needs to happen, you know? And again, like we've had fights, we've had issues, but at the end of the day, man, it's like, I'm going to still spot you. I'm still going to save your life when you're going for that squat. I'm still going to do everything I can to make sure that you can lift another day. I'll give you the, the, the hard reality of a situation when you're looking at something, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm like, well, think about this, look at this, like, or even the other side of it is like, Oh, on that squat, your knees came in a little bit. You're, you weren't looking at foot pressure. You weren't like, I trust the training partners I have out there with every, with anything, you know? And and that's so rare. I think nowadays, especially with a lot of the, and, and again, not to throw raw lifters under the bus, like so many raw lifters just train by themselves, like just quietly with their headphones on, just even if they're doing the same thing, as 10 other people in the gym, they will all just be on their own squat rack, not interacting. And, and one of the things that drew me to elite in the first place was the fact that it's like, you always see a crew out there that, that is there to help. Man, I'd rather bash my head through the windshield and train by myself. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't like it. You know, I, I grew up, you know, 20 years ago when I started training with Samson, you know, in a, in a metal shed, no air conditioning, dude, we showed up and we just trained. We trained, we supported each other. Not everyone, not everyone was best buddies. You know, I, I, I didn't see this clip from Dennis Rodman in the last dance, but I saw it separately recently. And he swore, Dennis Rodman swore that he never talked to Jordan and Pippen ever outside of the locker room. They never talked about their personal life. They never had a single mm-hmm. conversation outside anything concerning the gameplay. Nothing. Yep. And I'm like, and they won championships. They were one of the tightest groups ever. Three of the most feared, uh, you know, threesomes ever in basketball, right? But you don't have to like the person to be a good training partner to them. Mm-hmm. There's been people mm-hmm. I haven't liked that I've trained with, but you know what? I can, <clears throat> excuse me, I can overlook your attitude a bit. Or if I just, you know, some people just don't like each other. They don't like me and my personality. don't like you. Don't like mm-hmm. my mom, whatever it is, but. I can respect you if you come and you show up and you work hard. I may not like you, but mm-hmm. if you train hard, I'll respect you and I can train with you. Absolutely. You know? You know, show up on that's... time. Don't be missing all the time. Don't mm-hmm. be fuck. Don't have your freaking thumb up your butt when you should be spotting. Give mm-hmm. effort. And I don't care what color you are, or what your religion is. Show up and train hard, man. I had, I've had a hodgepodge team sometimes. I didn't even care. Come out. You want to train and learn? I don't care. I'm going to charge you. Come out and train. 
and and I'll teach you the best I can. But I'm training for a meet, so come help me, and I'll help you. Type yeah. of thing. You know? And that's been and that's been the coolest lesson with with multiply in general is like you <laughs> you need help from other people like you, you need to be you need people to be there to help save you if shit goes bad and shit does go bad like there are days where you're just like and, and when I was first learning it and I'm still so brand new to it that I'm just constantly learning every single week just trying to get better but it's one of those things where it's like. I'll have a week where things just click and then the next week it'll be like, have I ever done this shit before? Like what the hell is going on here? You know? And like, I, I was in one of the reasons I, I, you know, wanted to talk to you just because of your history and multiply and just your success in, in the game. And it's for people that haven't ever done it to see the shit that they don't understand it. They don't understand what pressure feels like. They don't understand yeah. what that feels like to stand up with that weight and to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to take this in the hole now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, multiply is difficult. And, um, about every couple of years I would have that thought in my brain, like what was, how did I forget how to squat? So mm-hmm. don't worry. You're going to have that forever. Um, I would just like lose it. I'm like, why can't I squat? Like what? I don't know what the I'm doing. Like benching. I would just be like, what am I doing? I don't know how to touch Mm -hmm. anymore. And then my deadlift would pick up and that would feel great. I'm like, well, where did that come from? And the squat would feel better. Then my bench would go in the shitter. And then my bench would be great. And my squat would suck. I'm just like, what the hell? I think a lot of it is just um, cumulative load on the, on the system in general. You're squatting heavy a lot. You're benching heavy a lot. Uh, within the same cycle, your deadlift's going to start to take a little bit, man. You got, you know, it's going to go down a bit. Sometimes when your squat's taken off, it'll take away from your bench. But being able to master the best you can your raw strength to get it to carry over into the equipment, but also mastering your equipment to be able to master the groove so you work with it, not against it, that's the hardest thing, man. I never quite got to master the bench shirt you know i I was on a really good run with my bench from like 06 to 08 uh it went from 600 to 785 in that Mm. time in the same shirt same shirt wow Wow. yeah it wasn't like i figured out like a new i just got way stronger and then i learned how to use my whole body i had Mm -hmm. the guys help me from uh big iron they helped me so yeah i went up one weight class and 185 pounds on my bench officially Wow. Yeah, less than two years. And um, but then I tore my shoulder apart the next year because I got so strong so quick. Mm-hmm. Right. And then so what I had to do was I had to become a little bit more of a technician in the shirt, but it also changed the way I could approach the bench. And then my bench was kind of never the same for the next eleven years. But I still benched a PR in that weight class. I benched a seven eighty eight over that seven eighty five, but it took a lot of years to to beat that. Um, and the bench shirt to me is by far the it's the most finicky, most difficult piece of equipment ever. I mean, I'm not necessarily built to bench. I don't have a, a gigantic chest, gigantic belly. My arms are a little bit longish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had the best art, you know. But, you know, I benched 800 in a couple different weight classes. So, you know, I was cool with that. But if I could have figured out the bench shirt a little bit more, you know, I, I feel like I could have uh, – you know, totaled what I could have. And that's what I think. Like my best lifts together are 29.31. You know, it's 13, 13 and some change, right? 825, 800, that's 29. 
31, but my best total is 27.30. So that like pisses me off. But trying to squat and deadlift and bench big all on the same day is very difficult. But man, the magical formula to knowing how much to get into the bench shirt, how much to stay out of it, it changed for me all the time. And I've just figured it out a, a couple of times. And so the deal is, is don't do it too much. Don't wear the shirt too much, but don't not wear it enough. And it's going to be somewhere within that range of having enough lockout strength raw, but not so much that you hurt yourself or lose your technique in the shirt mm. by not wearing the shirt enough. So, dude, sometimes my raw shit would feel terrible and then the bench would feel good. Other times I'd be slamming 500 pounds warm up, bam, then throw my shirt on and then be all over the place in my shirt. So mm-hmm. it, it, the people that figured out the bench are the two greatest <clears throat> multiplier lifters of all time or three, you want to call them three, you know, you have someone like Sean Frankel, huge bench, bench at 220, a full meet. Dave yeah. Hoff, of course, 1,000-plus bench. And then Donnie Thompson, 955 bench, 3,000 total. Those are the guys that really took it to the next level with being able to bench huge along with the huge squat. I could never quite match that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's ex- and it, even just having the understanding of load – is like, like you'd said, even openers, like if you just run through your openers on a day, you'd be just fucking gassed, man. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's wild just because I'm in the point now where my squats going up like that's It's going well. And my raw strength on my bench is going up. Everything's feeling yeah. great. But you would say, and you would mention it. It's like my deadlift is now feeling like trash. And it's like, son of a. That was probably your <laughs> best lift to start with. Absolutely. Hundred percent. It was the one. It was the one where it was like, oh, okay. Let's just keep this where it's at and just boost everything else up. And now, like, I get to those. Even like just the other day, I was, I was, uh, I, I get, I went up a weight class. So now I'm in two forty two, just to fill out the gear that I had because when I was first competing, I was wearing shit that was just hanging off of me. So now right. I'm like, okay, let's fill this up a little bit. And now I'm really getting something out of my briefs and like everything is moving and feeling good. And now the deadlift just feels like shit. But now I'm running into the bench issue of like, okay, cool. I have the the raw strength is going up, but now it's like, how come everything just feels wonky and everything like, like touching is such a pain in the ass. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out all this. And that's why I, I reached out to you. I was like, I need your thoughts on a bench shirt because I think I have just too much shirt right now. Like now, then you get in your own head. Now, mm-hmm. like it's all these variables where you're like, I'm never going to figure this shit out. <laughs> well, I think except for people like Donnie Thompson, Dave Hoff, Sean Frankel, we've all been absolute maniacs. Well, they probably, I'm sure they've had bad days. I've seen Dave and Sean have bad days and Donnie, Donnie drove around chasing that 3000 total for a few years straight. So he had some bad days. So, mm-hmm. uh, those are three of the greatest power lifters ever, especially the multiply era the last 20, 25 years. But we all had bad days and I had bad meets. And if that's what we did and we lived and breathed it, you know, 20 years or whatever, um, and we still struggled, it's a very difficult thing. But I think the key is, is finding the shirt that you're the most comfortable in and that you can reasonably touch in uh, and one that's not going to wear out quick. Because the worst thing is, is dialing one in, getting it broken, having it for one meter or so, and then it being dead. What are you benching right now? Uh, SDP. So those have, those have been hit or miss, depending. And, but it's the uh, older, it's that dark blue material. They don't make that anymore. 
So it's yeah. like a, it's like a damn just cement wall. Like it, it's not like that lighter blue that's a little bit more pliable. This thing is a cement mixer. Like it is just heavy and hard to deal with. So interesting fact on um, the red super duper phenoms are what everyone wanted back in the day, right? We're talking 10 years ago, a little longer maybe. And so what I'd heard from the owner was that was an accidental run of material. He thought it was going to be way too soft, way too cushy. So he made a couple shirts, sent them out to his sponsor guys. They freaking loved it. Loved the soft, come in easy spring. Um, and then he could no longer get it. So then that's why it changed a few different times. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of different uh, shirts blow out over the years. And depending on if the material was good, you know, it'd go okay. Then other times it wouldn't. Um, you either love the Super Duper Phenom or you hate it. I never quite got that magic Dave Hoff, Gene Reichslack dialed in, man. But I've seen some people make it work. You got to have that chest plate so freaking tight and so freaking low where it's completely hanging off. But then it makes your groove so freaking low. Yeah. It's a lot. I, you know, I'm still affiliated with Overkill. You know, I, I still would send them business. Rudy and I are good friends. I'm just not, I'm sponsored by them, but I'm not like out representing them, right? Mm -hmm. But over, the reason why I like Rudy's stuff so much, and every company, every single company makes good gear. They make good quality gear. It really just depends on how good of a fit you can get and what kind of material you want. More stretchy, more stiff. You need more give. You know, a, um, a, a, a softer person can get away with the tighter one because they'll squish in it. A more lean person will need it to be a little bit less uh, tight-fitting. Mm -hmm. But um, Rudy's red material is real stretchy, and it's a little – and it'll last forever. It won't wear out like the super-duper phenom. So having Rudy build you a shirt that's not too tight and breaking that in, having someone smaller than you wearing the shirt – Mm -hmm. and touching in it or working boards and stretching out the chest plate, popping the seams on it a little bit and wetting it down for a couple of weeks before you even try to put it on has been a secret that I used to use. I'd have the lighter guys. Let's say I'm a, I'm 260 at the time. I'd have my uh, 98ers, then my 220ers wear it, then a smaller 42er wear it for like mm -hmm. one, two, three weeks. And then I'd put it on and start with a four board and then come down to a three board, then a two board. And then by then it's kind of broken in. And then I don't have to go through the, the growing pains of the brand new shirt. Yeah. Now you wrote an article on breaking in shirts, right? Yeah. 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 I And that's to this day, I think that's one of the best pieces of information for, for someone getting into a brand new shirt. Cause I see it coming up all the time. I'm in all sorts of different oh, like, really? groups. Yeah. I see a bunch of different groups posting and like, Oh, I just got a brand new shirt. What the hell, how do I do it? And it, we, constantly see that kind of being floating around so it's it's awesome to see um but like was that how long did that take you that process like was that just something that you just did just intuitively or was that from years and years of kind of trying to figure it out um some of it was was intuitive but just the people that came before me and different ideas whether it be john enzer or dave tate or louis simmons or some of the west side guys that i would talk to or just you know what? Sometimes I got some of the best ideas from guys that didn't even compete because yeah. they had a, uh, a new perspective. They'd be like, well, why don't you try this? And, and a lot of the time it's stupid. Okay. A lot of the time these ideas are they're ridiculous, but then sometimes I'm like, why didn't I think about that? Like that's <laughs> actually really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause we're so like tunnel vision into what we do all the time. They're like, 
why don't you put that in a, a cabinet clamp or something like that and stretch out the arms or the legs? I'm like, I didn't even think about that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes it was just wisdom from wise people that just aren't power lifters or whatever that would just give you ideas because they deal with polyester or fabric like, ah, oh, dude, don't do that. I deal with, you know, seatbelt material or whatever it may be. And so they would be able to uh, give suggestions on how to break it in. And I actually had an upholstery guy out in a town near here about 30 minutes away. He did upholstery and, and, and car seats and seat belts and all this stuff and had this really high end and beefy stitching and thread. He would always take up my stuff for me. And he'd give me ideas about how to pinch the sleeves where it wouldn't affect my elbow and stuff. So mm. yeah, just all kinds of different ways of um, um, approaching the break-in process. One of them would be breaking it in and then having it taken back in just a little bit before the meet. Oh, okay. So makes sense. you train through the process. The shirt starts to get a hair loose, but it still fits good. But you want that competition fit. Mm -hmm. If you're a little bit of a risk taker, you take it in just a hair. I did that with my suit. Really? The last okay. meet I did, I gave it to Rudy, right? And he goes, I'm going to shorten the legs just a little bit, and then I'm going to tighten up this just a touch. Because he squatted with me the last squat session. And that when I was warming up, I'm like, dude, we're on today. This was exactly what I needed. But it's a risk. Right. It could have been like, oh, no, this is terrible. Give him my old suit back. And then because that was my only one of that cut, you know, I'd have been I'd have been screwed. But I have experimented before and like it'd been an epic failure. I don't I, I, maybe I tried to wear something too tight or whatever. But you got to like uh, if you're going to go fast, you're going to crash and burn sometimes. And I've, I've definitely crashed and burned and hurt myself and tore my pecs and shoulders and biceps and all kinds of stupid mm -hmm. shit. And of course my back stuff's well documented. And a lot of that was too self-inflicted. You know, I just didn't take enough rest periods. I didn't have any kind of spine hygiene, you know, but you learn. Absolutely. And it's one of the cool things that with, in terms of like the, the 10, 20 life is, is taking that down week before you need it. Right. That's one of the, the, best pieces of information for training that I still use to this day is, is, and actually, uh, Todd Brock out at elite is always, when I, we were there training every weekend, he'd always be like, all right, guys down week. And we're all fucking fired up by that. Like that second week, because you're thinking going into that third week or that fourth week, you're like, just feeling like primed up and ready to go. He would just throttle us down. Yeah. And at the time we'd be like, we'd be pissed. We'd be like, Oh, what the fuck, man? Like, come on. Like, let us go. Let us go. Train. You know, we want to yeah. Train. Yeah. And then, but that next week back, we'd feel like a million bucks. And it was yeah. just, it was one of those lessons, like as a younger lifter, you're just like, I want to go, 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 go. But it was such that, that wisdom that came with like two up, one down, two up, one down, just rotating that through. And to this day, like I did, I, I still do that because it's, it, it allows your body, especially if you're in multiply, allows your body to heal, allows your body yeah. to kind of, you know, not, it's like you utilize the deload better. You're not coming from like digging yourself this giant hole where honestly a week wouldn't do shit. You probably need right. two, maybe even right. three weeks. Yeah. You, it's, you're just preemptive about it and it allows you to go longer, which allows you to get better. Yeah. And I would just, you know, even, I don't know. 18, 19 years ago, I'd just not be feeling it in the gym. And I would just be like, I'm not going to train heavy. Or I'd walk in and 
it's around when I was squatting probably 800 or so. And like, what are you doing today? I don't know. Let's see how I feel. And I started just to yeah. kind of pay attention to the trends with that. And, you know, what I've noticed, it's, there's similarities between the people that don't like deloading and the people that don't want to stop lifting because they have back pain. Both of it is their, their feels, their feelings. They feel like they can keep lifting. They feel like they should lift heavy this week. They feel like they should do more than just, you know, what we prescribe them. It's a lie. They, that's, they feel it doesn't mean that they're accurate, you know, true. And if I lived off my feelings at all times, I'd be in prison. Right. You know, I'd just go attack somebody. I'd go, you know, just walk up to a girl and start kissing her. I can't do that. No one lives that way. Right? right. You can't just hit someone because they say something you don't like or they look a certain way or whatever. You got to control yourself. And it's a lot of it does come down to a little bit of discipline, you know, like fine. You know, like I want to look long term. My back's killing me. OK, well, you know, I feel like I can do these things, but, you know, I'm being told I probably shouldn't. And my feelings are kind of inaccurate. And they're also in some ways they are inconsequential. You know what I mean? Like you got to. You got to do what you got to do. So is the end goal to have fun every week because it blows off some mental steam for you? Or is your goal to get your back better? Or is your goal um, to get as many, as many pounds on the platform as possible? Or is it to feel good the whole time doing it? You can't always have both of those things. Right. Absolutely. A lot of time and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. And, it, and it's cool because this is kind of a nice segue is, is when you're dealing with high level lifters that I truly consider professional, it's like you're working with Naomi, who I luckily enough got to train with for months and months and months. And she's one of the best training partners because she is supportive. She is strong. She works her ass off and she's always there for everybody there. But she, she is an absolute sweetheart and she's yeah. one of my favorite people. And it's, and it's great to see that you guys are, are working together now and to get her feeling good. Cause she would, you could never tell when something hurt with her. Really? She just, she wouldn't wear that. You know, she would, she would mention, ah, oh, it doesn't feel right. Or whatever. like, you could never tell like the severity of where it was. And yeah. like with the, the experience I have through Dr. McGill and it's like, I was noticing trends with her and I was like, I hope this doesn't go beyond just like, Oh, it's a little tweak. It's a little, this, yeah. it's a little that, you know, yeah. because she's a warrior. Like she really is tough as nails when it comes to this stuff. And she never let on that this was really bothering her to the extent that it was, but I would love for you to kind of talk about your experience with her. Cause like I said, she's, I've had her on the podcast. She's one of my favorite human beings on the planet that, and to see that her trending in the right direction is, is huge. Yeah. So she, she went to the doctor and uh, to the ER because she was uh, doing touch and go deadlift reps and one, the timing threw her off or something. And she, and so she collapsed to the ground, got home, uh, couldn't hardly get out of bed, went to the ER and then ER did a uh, MR or, or uh, X-ray on her. They said, Oh, you're fine. And uh, she went to all these specialists telling her she's fine. Well, the report says that she has a vertebral body fracture mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, she's got some serious bone trauma going on there. And the fact that the doctors weren't addressing that is pretty crazy. So she went a while without, uh, like, good, good care with her going to different people. And uh, so she was just told, like, she's fine. So she would just kind of train through it. She even did a meet last year and won it. Uh, in yeah. 2022, she won a really big meet. She said that she hurt, you know, in training. She'd have to take extra time off. And uh, 
she started to prep for another one last year and that's when she shut it down. And, you know, she reached out to me a little bit later when we met at Swiss. Um, but yeah, she's been great to work with and she's a warrior. So you have to hold the warriors back and you have to get them away from the same mentality that got them to squat, you know, 577 or 578 that she squatted in a competition mm. at 148. You got to like change your mentality into slowing down and being more patient. You know, we spoke earlier today actually, and she's doing good. And um, she's been pain free for, for quite a bit of time now. And we got her doing a bunch of stuff. She's doing goblet squats with like 40 pounds. She's doing push ups, pull ups, dips. Uh, she's doing dumbbell presses, kettlebell presses, uh, sled drags. Um, yeah, she's been great to work with. And um, I hope that she can continue to heal up. And that's going to give her a good chance to be able to return to the platform at uh, hopefully better than she was before. But yeah. first things first, we got to build more resilience and, uh, you know, more capacity day to day so she can do these things in the gym mm -hmm. and then be able to do them on the platform again. Yeah. And it's she's amazing because it's not like you'll ever have to worry about her doing the work. You know, you'll never have to second guess her if, you know, if you tell her to do something, she'll do it down to the letter. And like you had said, you have to hold those warriors back. It's almost like you have to double check with her and be like, okay, I said 40 pounds on the goblet squad, making sure you didn't use the one fifties, like just, yeah. just making sure. Yeah. You got to hold her back. And, um, you know, with someone that's that good of a lifter, you know, a, a lot of their, their happiness and mental health, if you want to say it that way, their, a lot of their happiness is uh, dictated by their, how their lifting is going. I know when, you know, and I was really going after it for quite a few years straight. That, like, really dictated my mental health, mm -hmm. like, how good the lifting was going. And, man, it's such a seesaw, up and down and up and down. So I understand what she's going through, and she's in a good spot now, thankfully. But, man, back injury really jacks people up. And uh, it's not just the physical aspect. It's the psychological. And, you know, that can lead to a bunch of stuff, too, man, if they can't go to work or – you know, relationship problems. They can't have sex with their wife or their husband or, you know, mm -hmm. like it starts mm -hmm. taking away more than just their lifting for some people. It's like, you know, they can't play with their kids and then they mm -hmm. feel, you know, mm -hmm. they have no way out other than suicide potentially, or they panic and go get like just anyone that will operate on them. And then that's a whole nother like disaster when people are just trying to find a, a solution, you know, with uh, some kind of uh, surgical intervention. Mm. And, and like you had mentioned earlier it, in terms of feelings is like, that's it, one of the biggest things that I go over with clients is just because your emotions or your feelings are like, that's happening doesn't make it reality, right? Yep. Just because you're thinking about a thing doesn't mean it's going to happen. Just because you think that you want to do a thing doesn't mean it's the right idea, right? It, it's, yeah. it's just that clear cut objective, like I'd said before, that reflective surface to be like, Hey, this is yeah. where you're at. Do with that information with what you will, you know? Yeah. I've been thinking I'm going to be on Joe Rogan for 10 years. It hasn't yeah. happened. That's my thinking. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? That's my, that's my uh, delusion. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'd really like it if this happened, but you got to also look at reality. Could that happen? Maybe, but it's not the reality right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, like we all, I have crazy thoughts that go through my head all the time. And the scenarios just a lot of the time are just fictitious. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not to say that I couldn't get on Rogan one day. I, he needs someone to, to talk with him about back pain. I think Dr. McGill would be great to, to be on Rogan for sure. With that said, 
we have all kinds of feelings of doubt that creep in and, and, you know, things that are silly that, that if we think on them and, and, and dwell on them, we're not going to be in a good spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Let's say if I went negative, I'll never be anything. I'll never go on anyone's podcast. You know, that that's not going to do you any good either. You need to be reasonable, rational, and tell people the truth with what they're going through, man. And uh, sometimes people, they get real fearful because I've had some clients that never want to sit again. Right. They just like, I never want to sit again. Sitting sucks. It always hurts me. Well, you got to get them to expose themselves to a little bit of sitting. How long can you sit for? Man, I can only sit for five minutes at a time. Well, that's great because the last guy that was here can only sit for one minute. So mm-hmm. let's sit for five minutes. Let's get up. Let's stand. Let's go for a walk. Let's do some body weight squats. Then let's come back and sit again for five minutes. And when you can sit for six, sit for six, but don't go from five minutes to 15 to 20 minutes. Like build that up. But Man, some of those people that never want to do certain things again, you got to reprogram them, and that's when it's going to be heavy with the uh, psychology, you know, and, and working with them. Like sitting is not bad, but your capacity is limited right now. Mm-hmm. And and it's you made a good point with that because I was working with a client right before I left for Ohio here, and uh, he was telling me he's like, man, I, I I read the Back Mechanic, I've been doing the Big Three every day, I've been going for walks, and like one of my first questions was. Okay, interesting. Like, how long have you been going for walks for? He's like, oh, I've been going for like three 30-minute walks a day. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, at what point do you feel your low back start to flare up? He's like, oh, about yeah. like seven minutes in. And I'm like, yeah. holy shit. I was like, okay, well, we're obviously like picking a scab here. So I, yeah. I, I brought his attention to yeah. realizing like if your capacity is at that seven-minute mark, we're going to take a slight step back to allow you a little bit of room to breathe. And I was like, walk for a couple times a day for five minutes. Yeah. And he, all of a sudden he's like, Oh, my back doesn't hurt at the end of the day. And I was like, ah, that's, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's bizarre. <laughs> Man. A lot of the time you just got to get people to do, stop doing the stuff that they're doing. And I, I know that sounds overly simple, but you got to get them to stop doing that. Let it rest and then re-expose it to it. Now that's oversimplifying the process, but that's really in a nutshell, what you do, you, Remove the cause, you build more capacity, and then you slowly get back to exposing it, exposing it to the necessary um, load or position or whatever. But it's got to be done strategically. And for someone, you know, like might be a golfer or a baseball player, you, you start with the, if they have an annular tear and twisting kills them, stop twisting for a while. Then work with some anti-rotation stuff and then get them rotating a little bit. And, you know, that's the way you have to look at doing it and um, can't rush it. No, absolutely not. And uh, what in what I think of, you know, just kind of what we've been talking about in terms of like learning new things and, and just developing like a better understanding of situations. Uh, I got to say last year at Swiss was like one of the best days of my year. The fact of the matter is that I can sit at a bar and drink some whiskey and like have a conversation with you, have a conversation with all these people coming in. And it's like, I, I think in I want to be in a position to be able to help people connect, you know, with, with people like you, with people like Dr. McGill, with, with all the other cool presenters. And and I think this is one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast is because I would love to hear about what your plan is for Swiss, you know, what, you know, sort of information you're coming in with. Because again, like there's a there's a few people that always have a full room, 
right? Yeah. It's like you have a full room, like you, you were jam packed, you were slamming in there. And it's just really cool to see that progression because I, it's like I, I was a fan of, of yours and Dr. McGill for years. And to be in a position that I am, to be able to jump on a podcast with you, have these conversations and shit, like at the end of Swiss, it's like, go grab dinner at the bar, have a yeah. drink and just kind of decompress. Like that is such a cool opportunity. So I would love to hear what sort of things you're kind of bringing to Swiss this year and, and just kind of your direction with things going in, going forward. Yeah. So Swiss is coming up in two months, right? It's like Wild. it's uh, two months, yeah. right? Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. At that uh, super nice, um, what hotel is it? It's there. I think it's a Hilton. It's like a Hilton. Oh, that's a beautiful hotel, man. It's gigantic. Mm. Yeah, good place to eat there. The rooms are beautiful. So what I'm doing is uh, I'm talking about, I have a, basically in the training um, stream, I'm going to be in the big room and I'm going to be teaching the squats. So we'll be teaching about how to avoid back injury. Um, We're going to talk about mechanisms of injury, but I'm, I'm going to really focus on teaching people and cueing people on squat form. So I'll bring up a couple people, coach them up, show how I think the squat should look for them. Then we'll workshop a couple things, some core exercises, some movements, maybe some rehab, and just kind of play jazz with it there um, instead of the deadlift. And instead of having some PowerPoint, it's going to be hands-on. So I'm going to start off talking about the psychology of the squat, uh, the way I've approached it, what I've learned from Dr. McGill, sitting uh, – dense signals to the body from the brain, taking one rep at a time, locking onto that, you know, um, perfect repetitions, just the approach, you know, the walkout, when I'm thinking about the cues. So I'm going to really do a lot of hands-on with the squat. And then I'll talk about some common mechanisms that I see for people that end up hurting themselves, ways to overcome that with exercise and such. And then uh, probably just take some questions at the end about the squat, but hoping to run a few people up through there as well. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. And the hands-on stuff is always so much more impactful than just, you know, staring at a PowerPoint. And and if you can even get a few people up there that either have back pain from squatting or, you know, are, are just, you know, are, are willing to throw themselves out there. I think that'll be huge because it's, it is so individual when it comes to, you know, helping somebody and to be able to have those live people going through the process. And, and as an audience member, cause I'll be in there, I'll be in the background, just chirping you or something, who knows, but it'll be some, it'll be really, really cool to see that because you get so many different types of people that go to Swiss, you get some absolute meatheads like units. And then you get like these little squirrely, like bookworms, and it's great to have them all going through that process and to be able to kind of see from one person to the next, like things to look for, because that's what I would learn from the videos you put out, even like just working with Dave for as long as I did is, is with the train your ass off stuff that we would do. I would always stand behind him and I would notice he said a thing and the next rep, I would look for that thing. Like mm-hmm. I would see like, what do I see what they see? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be in the room for that hundred percent. That sounds awesome. It's a little scary. Like, no, so you mentioned me throwing you to the wolves there with the, um, the seminar in Buffalo. That's what Dr. McGill, not throwing to the wolves, but that's what he does when we've done workshops. He'll bring someone up to coach and then we can like watch and then observe. So I actually got that from him. I, I'm way more comfortable just getting on myself and say, here's what I see. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. But I, I did it that way. And so I was a little scared too. Because oh, that's yeah. not the norm. And also, uh, dude, I still get like, I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm walking out to the wolves when I got a room full of people because I got to deliver. So I, 
even though it may not look like I'm like scared or whatever, like it's like going to a meet, you know, I'm just like nervous about uh, executing and not saying anything like silly or stupid or ignorant, you know what I mean? Or like embarrassing myself or whatever, but I don't take myself too seriously. So if I did, hopefully everyone would laugh if I like said something like ridiculous or dumb or whatever. So, so I do have like an expectation to do well, but I am going to give myself some grace just to have fun with it because, you know, we'll all be there together. And most people, you know, we're all on the same page with, and we just all want to get better. So it's a good time because people are there because they want to be there, not because they're forced to be there. So exactly. I want to help as many people as possible dial in their squat and their approach to the squat. That's my goal for Swiss. Yeah. And it's going to be great too, because again, it's, I'm in a position this year for Swiss. Last year I was there kind of helping out, kind of direct people, whatever. This year I'm going to be there helping people that are going there to watch connect with the presenters. Right. Oh, so, how do you, so, so how's that going to work? So I brought that idea up to Dave uh, a couple months ago and, and I, it was funny because he was like, when we were talking, it was after a training day, it was like a Sunday and we were sitting in the gym and I was like, Hey man, like, I think this would be a really good idea. And all of a sudden he takes his notebook out and he starts just like writing everything down. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to keep kind of <laughs> bringing the idea up. Then a couple of weeks ago, I saw an email about it. He's like, Oh, we're going to have these people walking around, introducing, connecting, because you've been in situations where you're, you may be standing there talking to somebody and then you just feel eyeballs like on oh, yeah. you. It's like, yeah. it's like, come on, come on. Because yeah. there are people that are just too nervous to connect. Like they're just, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to ask. Like one of the skills that I had being an elite is like, I, I can talk to anybody and people are yep. very comfortable with me. Like they yep. open up. There are so many times where I've been having a conversation. All of a sudden they're talking about their dog dying or their wife cheating on them. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, this is a lot of information <laughs> here, but I'm going to be using that to my, to, to help everybody to be like, Hey, it's like, come talk to me. Like I'll have like some sort of special shirt on. Come talk to me. Who do you want to talk to? Oh, I want to talk to Brian. Like he mentioned this thing about squatting and I'm like, all right, cool. And if I don't see you, I'll just shoot you a text. I'm like, Brian, this guy wants to talk to you about this thing. He was just in your presentation. Meet us over here and I'll be there. That's going to be uh, so you're like the facilitator. You're going to, that's going to be big for people to feel like they're getting their money's worth. hundred percent. And I think that that's going to be one of the biggest takeaways is like, because it's the conversations in the hallways, right? It's the yes. conversation at dinner. It's a conversation here and there. And it's because there are people that are, that would be too nervous to talk to you directly introduce yeah. themselves like that. I want to kind of break down that wall for people because it's like, we have a good relationship. I can be like, Hey Brian, this guy wants to talk about this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden like that tension for that person, whoop, goes away and now they get to feel like there are like they get their questions answered they get their their money's worth and they get to really facilitate their own education and growth because there are there are few people that are few and far between that be willing to do the thing that you had me do just like in front of the room like all right teach this room full of doctors how to deadlift and it's just like panic but i was like fuck it we're doing it so it's like i'm taking that skill that i have and helping people just have those conversations. It's like, oh, if somebody wants to talk to Wendler and, the, and Wendler is just looking over there like a fucking crazy person. <laughs> Love Wendler, but like he, like on the outside, he's intimidating as shit. And so it's like, yeah. Wendler, this yeah. guy wants to talk about this. He's like, all right, come on, bring him over, right? Yeah. Like just helping people connect with the presenters a little bit, I think is gonna be the biggest factor for people like that just really feel like they're getting their questions answered. Dude. 
and, and and not only are they making it better, but the price, dude. I know the early birds passing by, but still, dude, it's like what? What is it like five hundred dollars for for two days, and it's like chock full of great presenters, even better than last year. Now, Doctor McGill's yeah. coming. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple other names added. Duffin's coming, I think this time. Is he is he coming or am I lying? Uh, I believe I, I saw Duffin's name. No, I I believe Duffin might be coming, but it, it, that okay. that name list always changes. Like it, it's it's always like a little bit of a flux in and out. He also fucking that guy also fucking insulted me at the Arnold. <laughs> he what was like. No, not like really. It was like kind of. Uh, it was it was a funny interaction because I introduced myself to him because that was the first time I met him in person. He was like, "Oh, like just we met for the first time or whatever." And I was like, "Hey, man, like you still have all these like drug tested records in Multiply?" And he was like, "Who in their right fucking mind would be competing in Multiply Natural?" And I was like, <laughs> looking around. I was like, hey. he was like, he was like, "Oh, all right." And I was like, "All right." That's all right. <laughs> but that was our first interaction. That was what you thought was funny. Yeah. Me. No, no, yeah. it's a whole, it, you just, it's, that's a whole different conversation for another day. But I think that that's it. But it was interesting to be like, that was my first interaction. He's like, Oh, who's dumb enough to do that shit. I was like me. That's what I'm doing. But um, yeah, no, I remember, it, it, I remember competing go. against, against them back in the day at the 2011 mm. Pro-Am. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he did, it's, he did really well at Multiply for, for a bit, and uh, then he crossed over and did the raw stuff for a while, and then turned into a uh, like feats of strength lifter is what I would call it. Yeah, some of that shit was wild. He Absolutely is, wild. yeah, he's super strong, dude. He's super smart too, mm, for sure. And I think, and again, I, I think coming back to the Swiss thing, it, it's such a the price tag. Yes, the price tag is high, but it it really puts into perspective the how important the information that is being shared that day is. It's yep. like, this is the real shit from the people that are doing it day in and day out. Right. It, it's, it's very rare that people have the opportunity to have a conversation with you or Dr. Gill or any of the other presenters. Like I'm good. People are going to have to fight me off from having conversations with McGill because I've only talked to him on the phone. You know what I mean? Like I did a podcast with him. I talked to him on the phone, but it's like, Stu, what's going on, man? Like, we got to catch up. We, we gotta, you know, but it, it is. It's it's that connection that people need. And I think mm -hmm. in the day and age of people just being on their phones all the time, being able to walk up to somebody and just, like, introduce yourself and, like, just not look like an idiot yes. is, is kind of a skill that a lot of people may not have. Right. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well. I'm looking forward to the uh, weekend. I can't believe it's coming up on a year already, but that's fine with me. Yeah, it, it, and again, it, it is such a – and you know, like anytime you've done a seminar, is like it's go, 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 go. You're on all cylinders for a couple days. And last year was funny because I had – like at, we, we had had the, the setup because we had all those damn racks in all the rooms. We had to set that I shit know. up. I, I was yeah. dragging in horse stall mats. Like we, it was it was exhausting. But then like two days of being on and then the breakdown, I got home and my body just like collapsed. I was like sick for a couple of days. Like everything it was just like my nervous system was trashed because I'm running on caffeine for days and for days and days. Yeah. And uh, but it's it's so great because it's like really the only seminar that I go to. Right. Like I, it's the only one that I go to. And I'm like, uh, 
and I'm watching and I'm listening because the other ones I go to during the year, are the ones I'm participating in, right? It's like, yep. I'm, I'm talking at this, I'm doing this. Like, so it's, it's where I can actually be uh, a viewer, right? I can ingest the information for a change, which is really, really nice. And it's cool that I know a lot of the people. It's like, I've had interactions with a lot of people that are there and like it, it's, especially for the VIP day after, or the, what is it? I think it's the second day is like the VIP training event. That's where the, the really cool information is shared. And yep. uh, are you, are you going to be going to that one? Um, if I can, I will go to that and I'll help out. I'm not sure when we're coming back and I'm also not sure if I'm bringing my daughters with me. So if I bring my daughters, we'll probably be there less time. But if I don't bring my daughters, then for sure I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah, no, because that's where people get that hands-on experience because everybody's just training, which is like the coolest part. And I can say some stuff that I couldn't, you know, maybe on the microphone or whatever. If they're asking me about drugs or so, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Can, I'm very open about all that stuff and, and, and I don't care. It's not like I was, uh, you know, claimed to be drug-free during my time. I just, you know, it's not like the time or place to be babbling about drugs unless I'm maybe like on a panel about drugs, you know, a little different, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the, the, the sort of direction that things are going for you now? I see the content you're putting out videos you did with Naomi. I see you just, yeah. like we had talked about before, man, that content game is exhausting. What, what sort of things are you working on kind of under the hood? So I just got back from St. Louis. I filmed uh, about eight videos with Horshik. Oh, nice. University, yeah, we filmed, we collaborated on about eight videos, and so those will be coming out over the next couple of months. Um, so that's one pretty cool thing, uh, like you said about the content and my gym. I'm, I'm pumping that out just to kind of bolster my uh consultation so I get some business from that, but also after a consultation, hey, you know, that video I just posted up, or that video, you know, hanging from the pull up bar or McKinsey press up, go revisit that to, to further solidify what we talked about today i can have these videos that i can even make private and just send to clients exactly. so i'm really working on just the 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 rolodex or the 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 amount of content and i'm revamping power rack strength completely ground up rebuilding that and that's the home page is almost done and just making it more navigable and uh, cleaner for back pain or strength training and that's the biggest thing is getting my content sorted out and uh helping as many people as possible that's, that's, huge, that's my goal. Yeah. So the other question I had was uh, with your CBD products. You came out yeah. when last time you came out to Elite when I was there. You brought some samples, and I'm I that shit was awesome. So what sort yeah. of direction are you planning on going with that? Any new products that you got coming yeah. out? Anything like that? Yeah. So I got uh, gummies now. The gummies are doing oh, really sweet. well. I'll send you some. So awesome. I got apple rings, peach rings, gummy bears, gummy worms. Oh, and then that's I have so cool. watermelon, watermelon slices. So yeah, I have five different huge. types of gummies, and they're 10 milligram, except for the gummy bears are five milligram, and they taste awesome. That's great, man. So how how what's the process of kind of getting involved with that stuff? Like, did you, I imagine the research that went into your particular products was pretty high, and in, in terms of just kind of getting an understanding of like the best sourcing for the CBD, all of that. Luckily, I went to school with someone that's been in cannabis for like 10 years. Oh, awesome. And so we reconnected, you know, a few years ago, five years ago when we started talking. And she said that she had some ideas for me to make some like potent stuff for strength athletes. And I started testing things for two years on my own, just tested dosages, topicals, bombs, drops, uh, capsules, chewables, like all this stuff. And the things that I have now 
the cryo-freeze roller here, the drops over my shoulder, the bombs up there. Everything that I have is stuff that I used first and I saw success with. So luckily I had her to help me out a lot with like the starting point. But from there, I just picked up a couple books. One's like the CBD Bible and, and another book that was written just difference between broad spectrum and like isolate. I use isolate for my CBD and the way Kristen has always done hers is CBD isolate. That's my business partner. And it's CBD isolate because it has all the other cannabinoids removed. So that way people that have police officers, firemen, government officials, they can take it and they're not going to fail for THC because some of the full and broad spectrum that you buy at the gas station or grocery store are not uh, subjected to the same amount of scrutiny for testing. And there's a chance you might pop positive. You know, it's like these people that somehow they're, they're taking some cheap supplements that pop them for a drug test, right? Same thing. It's not the time to, to, to skate on uh, quality, especially if your job's at risk. So we wanted to put out testing for each batch like we do on the website, PowerRackStrengthCBD.com. And then just have it all isolate so people don't have to worry about other cannabinoids in there that may or may not... Uh, provide a, a failed drug test, which we don't even want to go there. Right. And now yeah. in terms of protocols that you've used in the past for, you know, various things, obviously if someone's in a severe amount of pain, it may be slightly different than someone that wants to, you know, kind of mellow out, whatever. What sort of right. like protocols did you have around your training that has seemed to help you quite a bit? I like to uh, take a little bit of THC and CBD like towards the end of my workout to start bringing me down. Not, not while I'm benching with my shirt on with 900 pounds, but maybe when I'm doing tricep press downs and some side planks or something. But CBD to sleep, about 20 milligrams of either the dropper or the gummy is great. Some people need a little bit more. What I've been having people do for protocols is if they train at night, having about 20 milligrams of edible, uh, the CBD gummies, about halfway through their workout so it can go ahead and start towards the end bringing them down so they can actually sleep at night because I don't know about you, but when I was training at six o'clock every Monday night, I would have to get stepped up. Yeah. yeah. And I just wouldn't sleep. So I found a protocol of about 20 to 40 milligrams of CBD that would start bringing me down right after training was ending and then I could just chill out. And it would just mellow me out overall a little bit. Great for aches and pains too. The, 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 the topicals two to four times a day on the area, but the, the drops for anxiety and sleep, about 20 milligrams is like the, the perfect dosage. That's yeah, like I've been, serving. I'm about five or so weeks out from the meet. Um, and I'm noticing just like anytime you're peaking for a meet, like the aches and pains kind of start creeping in your elbows, yeah. your shoulders or whatever. And I have that bomb that you, that you gave us. And, and I've been, I, you gave us so many, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. So I've had, <laughs> I've had it since. So I'm down to my last one and I've been rubbing it on my shoulder and it's helped during workouts just to kind of really? calm the system down. Because with my tent, with my bicep tendonitis that I have, like if it flares up, I'm fucked. So it's like, I need to be preventative with it to kind of keep it at bay, but I can't not bench, right? Like I have to, you know, I have to get into the shirt coming into the meat. I'm not good enough in the shirt to just be like, eh, it'll be there. Absolutely not. It's not going to be there. I have to. So I've been kind of mitigating things and it's been helping tremendously. So I've been using it. Well, we'll send you we'll send you some uh, gummies to help you sleep a little bit more too. What do you Absolutely. you like peach strawberry or peach watermelon apple gummy bears gummy worms? Ooh, I'm gonna go with the watermelon. That sounds great. That watermelon sounds awesome, is good. Man. All right, we'll get those out to you, man. Yeah, um, man. But yeah, CBD can help people. It's not 
It's not a magical drug for some people. It can be a game changer, but it's not automatically across the board going to be a game changer because mm -hmm. different people respond to different stimuli and medicines. You have some people take a Benadryl and they're bouncing off the walls, but most people are sedated from it, right? Right. Same thing with CBD and THC. Start with a little bit, proceed with caution. It may not be the supplement or drug for you. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know? So I got one final question. This is purely a... Uh, uh -oh. No, 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 no. Purely a selfish question for me. I'm just kidding. How did you go into a meet peaking your bench the last four or five weeks? What was the what was the protocol that you kind of followed that worked the best for you? Because it sounds to me like we had kind of similar experiences with the bench. Like my issue is like, I think I've just too much shirt. Like it's just too much material. It's too heavy. It's And I have to fight that fucker to my chest for like the last inch or two, what would you say would be a good protocol? And again, I have a lot of multiply listeners that gain a lot of insight from this and to hear mm -hmm. a new perspective on, because that's the last few weeks, man, like you get in your own head and you really like question everything you're doing up to that point. Well, we preface it with, you know, the bench was never necessarily my strong point, but I, I it, it kept me around. It was good enough you know, to keep me around, it was bigger than, than a lot of people in the, in the classes, but it was never top dog. And I put my programming glasses on. So I, I would that. say, I if, so you say peaking cycle for the last five weeks? Yeah. Yep. It's going to be handling your third attempt, but not off your chest, probably off of one board at some time, maybe three weeks out, you're going to handle your third attempt that you'd like to do off of one board. You'll probably touch two times. During this cycle, two different sessions you'll touch, maybe at like three weeks out and like two weeks out. Now, if you have to cut weight, one thing that always helped me was taking a half board about a week out. But if you're cutting weight, I wouldn't do that because you're going to be already depleting carbs a little bit potentially. I was cutting such drastic weight at times that I would start cutting carbs seven or eight days out. So I didn't want to bench on that day. But tapering down... Five weeks out, maybe working uh, your opener off of one board, maybe a second off of two, then dropping it down a little bit. On um, four weeks out, um, going down to singles, man, and then working down towards touching, maybe touch your opener three weeks out, and then maybe your heaviest session being that three weeks out. So three weeks out, touch your opener, half board for a second attempt, one board off a third attempt. Two weeks out, maybe you deload, and if you're not cutting weight, one week out, 85% try to touch it or touch to a half board. But your mm -hmm. assistance work overload, close grip either raw off the three board mm -hmm. or shirted three board close grip. Okay. Turd right. shirt, something that's not so tight as the, the name that was coined for it about 20 years ago. Turd shirt, it's just loose and whatever. Throw yeah. away. Just have it on to protect your shoulders. Overload those triceps. So you really have to work on slamming that. Now, I got that stuff from uh, Sean Frankel and, and something I learned from Dave Hoff was building the volume up, not taking plate jumps. But even though I was benching in the eights, he's like, still go 556, 657, 758, build the volume up. So that's another thing that I learned from him, holding the weight at the top and settling it, making sure that you're settled and holding that thing locked in. Because if you start off rickety like I would sometimes, it's going to want to seesaw on the way down. That would be it. But your heaviest workout about three weeks out that we have enough time to recover. But then if you're if you're touching his shit, then you can always have another week where you touch on the two weeks out. But okay. weeks five, you're building the momentum. Weeks four, 
maybe you push a little bit, work it down a little bit, and then your heaviest week, three weeks out, deload, and then maybe you take uh, like a last warm of opener a week out. I've had success with something around those um, protocols, and I just back off the assistance work a little bit too. I'll do the close grip heavy up until about two weeks out, then I just cut that back to like dumbbells. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Now, how does that compare with your squat and your deadlift? Because I know a lot of people in multiply, I mean, especially being around elite, like deadlifts were like, oh, that's just the thing you do before you yeah. can go eat. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you can get your, tro your trophy. Yeah. Uh, squat came a lot more natural to me and I didn't need to worry about touching, you know, like that. I just need to worry about getting down. So it would really depend. Five weeks out, I'd take like a, an opener for the first time on the squat, and then maybe a reverse band second attempt. Four weeks out, I might take an opener plus a second. Three weeks out or whatever, I might push or I might deload. But I took 1205 two weeks out from the 1300, and then I just didn't squat again. But I did assistance work after that. Um, but I was confident in the squat because my, my raw from the belt squat and everything I was doing was, was nice at the time. So I felt like Anything I could pick up and stay in the groove with, I could come up with. Mm -hmm. So I worked on my unrack a lot and just doing static holds. Now for mm -hmm. the deadlift, I like to pull in an opener two weeks out. Five weeks out, I'm pulling doubles. Four weeks out, I'm pulling an opener, maybe a second. Three weeks out might be my heaviest one, or I might deload. One of those weeks is going to be a deload, and then opener two weeks out, then shut it down. Okay, easy. That's awesome because I think – what, and again, one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is to give people this actionable information because it's it's so important for people to have resources where they can hear someone who's been there talk about the process in a in a in an open format, right? Because you can see an article, and that's and that articles are fantastic, but again, it's still a snapshot of time, and you don't get all the insight, you don't get all the details, you don't get you know, and, and it's and it's tough. So. Being able to have these conversations is is huge for people that are that are competing, right? Because it's it's something that people need to hear of, of someone that has been able to accomplish so much in the sport. It's like their thought process when it came to the why behind, because that's as important as anything else. You give somebody yeah. the X and O's, but if the why isn't there, you'll never really get the same sort of results because you don't know what, why the hell you're doing something in the first place. Yeah, and then all the while you question the process, man. It's the multiply is very difficult, but that's that's the thought process, I, process I'd go through. That's kind of the peaking phase, last five weeks, and then um, not scared to take an audible. I take an audible if I needed to. If something didn't feel right and it was off, I might shut it down and come back and train the next day if it was possible. Yeah, just something like I've had gear blow out, man. I didn't have another piece with me, and it was just not possible to finish what I needed that day. I'd shut it down, come back with another piece the next day and re-squat if it needed to get done, right? right so absolutely. some days it's like, I don't feel good. I didn't sleep last night. I'm not, I'm not training. I'm going to do some core work. I'm going to spot and load, and then I'm just going to take a deload today. So being able to call an audible when you need to is uh, priceless. Yeah, that's great. No, I, and, and Brian, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your time. Your, your, your knowledge and, and your expertise is, is, is huge. Right. And again, I'm so excited to see you at Swiss. I'm excited to kind of keel in these and, and we're going to be doing more of these. That's it's, it's just guaranteed because it's too much good information for people not to hear. And, and it, your perspective on things is really helpful for a lot of people. So again, I truly appreciate it. Uh, any last words, anything you want to pimp out? And again, I'll be putting all this stuff in the show notes that you want in there, all the links and whatnot. 
Okay, nope. Thanks for having me. It's long, long time coming. I'm glad we're doing it. Uh, anytime you want to do another one, we'll put it on the board and we'll do it. And then, uh, like I said, congrats on everything you're doing as well. Looking forward to seeing you at Swiss, and uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much for listening to that one. And uh, if you have any questions or anything, shoot them to me. Uh, I put all the information down below, all the contact and whatnot. And I'll cut the recording. But, guys, thank you very much, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you.